0: to the Celebration of Life event. Um, I'm looking forward, like all of you will be, to learning more about it. Thank you very much, Lady Halifax. Three, one,
1: two, three. I want to sing, sing, sing. I want to dance, dance, dance. I want to sing, I want to dance. Hallelujah. When the gates are open wide, I'll be standing
2: by your side.
3: I want to sing, I want to dance. Hallelujah. This event has
2: been a long time in the planning. There are 60 stalls, there are lots of activities. What key message do you want people to take away from this celebration of life event?
4: I think it's just about not being scared of talking about death and dying. We all know everybody's going to die one day, 100% definite, and we shouldn't be scared about it. And from my personal experience very recently, I think we need to actually... Write down what our wishes are, so even if nobody does anything else other than go home, write down what their wishes are for their funeral, for um, you know their life, their bucket list, to think about what music they'd like at the funeral, it makes it so much easier for their families when they're no longer here and you can't ask those questions. My dad died 23 years ago, suddenly we didn't know what he wanted, he was 63 my sisters and I and my mum had no idea even though he was a minister of religion we still didn't talk about it openly he performed funerals on a regular basis he found families who never knew about death and dying uh, you know hadn't talked about it and that trauma of not knowing and actually worrying that you've done the right thing for people can sit with you for a very long time. So actually, knowing that that person has written down what their wishes are. Yes, your wishes might change. My wishes today might be different if I live until my 80s. But I will still, my family will still talk about it. We talk about it around the dinner table. We have a laugh about it. You know, we challenge each other who's going to choose whose music at uh, whose funerals. And it, but it, but we make light of it because it it it's actually part of life.
2: asking people to give me their thoughts about the importance of this event
5: i think it's extremely important um i work for the alzheimer's society um and events like these i think need to happen more often letting people know what's out there um to support them when they are facing end of life so to know that there is a lot of support um that they can access but it's often knowing what exists how to access it, um, if they're eligible to access it. So it's really, really important, I think, for venues to be accessible like this.
2: Uh, I'm trying to catch an overall picture of the event and the importance of it. So tell me about the sort of conversations you're having and the importance of
6: this sort of celebration of life event. I've been to these events before, I think, and they're really interesting because it, it gives you a new perspective on... What essentially is a, a sad time. It, death, and even considering death, no one talks about it really. From Hunt's whole CVS's point of view, we're we're here to try and support groups who want to who want to be a support group if they if they have a, a condition that's life limiting or, or something like that. So we're better to get advice than from people who have been through it or are going through it too. The reason I'm here really is just to try and help people through that um, process. Um, and health cvs can actually help get, get groups established give them lots of information about where to go for funding or if they need it that kind of thing but the event itself is is it's phenomenal i think it's amazing that so many people come together and talk about you know, sort of what effectively is something that people don't talk about death and i think it's just uh, it's more power to them and the, the organizers have done a fantastic job
2: So you are Martin House, House? Hospice Care for Children and Young People. It must be particularly difficult for families to plan for the death of a child.
4: Indeed it is. It is very difficult. But uh, a facility like Martin House um, does give the families lots of help and support, both in the community and at the main hospice itself. And um, it, because it, it, it does um, look after um, children and young people with life limiting conditions. And these conditions are um, not easy. They, they, they don't follow a definite path. So uh, it's, it's difficult to actually predict.
2: Hmm. Is your work with the, the parents and the families of these children, or do you actually work with the young people themselves, helping yes. them to prepare oh, yes. themselves?
4: Yes, yes, with, with, the, with the fam- all the family. Yes, the whole family is involved, the parents, the, the, the child themselves and their siblings.
2: Helen Worrell, you work with the Gypsy Traveller community and I noticed during your, your talk you were talking about the sort of clash of uh, tradition and modernity.
0: I think um, when we think of, of loss of life, we think of people and not just loss of lifestyle. So what I was trying to convey is that the loss of identity is also really important and, or loss of ability, that, that it isn't just about a person... A person going, um, that death comes in and loss comes in many different ways and I think if your identity has been difficult to reveal through your life, um, end of life it becomes even more critical and especially for the Gypsy Traveller community who've experienced quite a lot of prejudice, some people would be uncomfortable. Um, at, a, at a time when most people want to celebrate and, and remember um, specific things about their life, career, family, that for a gypsy traveller it becomes sometimes quite hard to actually acknowledge their heritage. So I hope I've conveyed you know, some of that, how we remember things personally through symbols and actions and conversations. It's not just about seeing who a person is. It's actually hearing who a person is in a different way if that makes sense.
2: (laughs) Are there any traditions within the traveller community that actually make it easier um, for families to cope with the loss of a loved one? I think gypsy travellers are big
0: celebrators of the life cycle so um, there will always be a, a lot of support from family and a lot of acknowledgement of life so you know that can be quite daunting for other cultures to actually see the Um, the performance, you know, the processions and that kind of thing. But, yes, I think it's a way of keeping tradition and culture alive through life cycle. Birth, marriage and death are really significant life cycle events in Gypsy Traveller culture.
4: Hi, I'm Annie. This is Serendipity. A white secluded cockle beach, the sea is blue and calm. I sit under the branches of the biggest tree away from heat. I'm warm. There is no life around me. Nature tells its own tale. I can hear the birds, I can hear the sea. No sounds around me, just perfect peace and calm. The smell of the sea relaxes me as I watch the clouds go by. It doesn't need a taste, I feel content and free.
3: What is natural death all about? OK, the Natural Death Centre's been going 25 years or more. Basically, what we're here today to promote is to open up to everyone the knowledge and to expand their knowledge about funerals in the way that you don't have to have what we all think of a traditional funeral where you're spending 3750 4750 on a funeral here in Hull. You could have a direct burial. A direct cremation.
2: What is direct about a direct funeral, direct cremation? That word direct, what,
3: what do you mean by that? When we talk about direct it's the way when the family member or the person who is about to pass away he chooses not to have a full funeral they just want to be laid to rest or they want to have their final repose in the crematorium and nobody attends they want to have it private uh, the same as David Bowie did, a lot of people don't remember but John Lennon also had the same thing in, in uh, when he passed away so you know, it is is not new, but it's not open to everybody. What we do at the National Death Centre with a handbook, which we're offering today, is it explains how to take care of the deceased, how to keep your loved one at home. Because you've also got to think about, we care for our loved one, we're looking after them at home, we become the carer. But then, is it right to just hand them over to a stranger, typically a funeral director or whatever? But then again, we're funeral directors, so you know what we're here to do is to promote choice we're here to help these people today to help the natural death centre to get the word out that there is choice out there and that's what it's all about
7: I, I think being here today it really kind of establishes about end of life talks about it It gives people that the opportunity to see what's out there in the local area um, and to really understand and and to feel confident and able to talk to talk about it because it's such a taboo subject that people you know, the more we talk about it, the easier it becomes. The preparation for it, know what services are out there to support children, families from our particular service, and equally, for, obviously, for the adult services as well. Yeah.
2: Why do you think it is such a taboo subject?
7: Because people see it as um, they don't want to, I guess, tempt fate. If I'm talking about it, I have to actually deal with it. And so a lot of people, I guess, just don't talk about it, because if we don't talk about it, it ain't going to happen. But it's, it's a natural thing that everybody in this whole world is going to experience at some point in their lives.
2: So you're representing Sunshine House? Yeah. Is that tell me about Sunshine House.
7: So Sunshine House is a unit, a short break unit for children between birth and 18 years of age. We care and support families with children with um, neuro disabilities, learning disabilities, physical disabilities. Um, we provide short breaks, daycare service as well and we also provide an end of life facility at that time if it's needed. Yeah.
2: So, in, in this context, tell me more about that end-of-life facility at Sunshine House.
7: So, our end-of-life facility, um, we, we call it our Forget-Me-Not Suite, and we support families at that time, so um, they have got a choice. If they want to spend time with a child, we've looked at children so about, sort about of four or five days post-passing um, away. They can come to Sunshine House, take the time, say their goodbyes, make memories, it's really, really important for the family, for the parents, but also for the siblings as well. So we take time f- to, to support the families and the siblings in that, in that respect.
2: So when you say make memories, are you making a memory box and that sort yeah. of thing?
7: Yeah, so we have memory boxes, so the parents can make memory boxes. They can um, take lots of handprints, footprints. They take a, a lock of hair. Um, they, we make like a memory tree, so all the families are encouraged. the family members come into sunshine house and they we use um, thumbprints as a, as a, the leaves on a, on a memory tree on a tree of life, so the families have that at the end at that time, so they can look back and reflect on it as well and also the siblings really important in this in that journey because they 're often kind of just not forgotten. But the priorities are the child, that's that's at that end of life. And so we encourage that the siblings to make memories for themselves, decorate a box, put little personal things in that and
8: remember their siblings.
2: This event is all about celebrating life and many people have been telling me today just what a taboo subject is to talk about death, uh, to have those conversations with close family members or whatever about preparing uh, for the end of life. Amy, something you've just shared with the audience at this event is really created a very positive outcome from what could have been and is a very sad story. Tell me very briefly, if you can, about Mini.
1: Um, well, as, I, as we said in the presentation, it was a normal pregnancy up until about 32 weeks, like the last trimester, and, and that's when I had this polyhydrominus and it was too much fluid around the baby, which can indicate the fistula, but it's not 100%. And then when she was born, after two hours she collapsed and then we were transferred across to Leeds. This was all, obviously, <laughs> massive shock. It was just... I mean I, I thought if there was something wrong with her she would stay in Scarborough anyway I didn't think we'd have to go two hours away from home so when we got to Leeds that's when we got the diagnosis of hyperplastic left heart syndrome the trachea Malaysia, the esophageal fistula and a couple of other things with her heart which I can't always remember the exact name of as the 23 days went on, it became obvious that things were just getting worse and worse and that she wasn't she wasn't going to make it, she wasn't going to deliver, and her quality of life was going to be extremely poor for the small amount of time we were going to have her. That's why we decided to to withdraw her life-saving treatment as such and, and move across to just keeping her comfortable. And that's when we decided that we would possibly like to donate her organs just because we really wanted her to to achieve something we wanted something really special for her and and we thought it would save a child's life when we donated her organs we found out that it was uh, a 27 year old who took both her kidneys which obviously was quite interesting at the time but not the main thing on our mind Mm. but as we went home gradually over time that is probably the the biggest source of comfort to us is the organ donation because I mean I'm sure grief at any time is quite overwhelming but when it's a baby and you've you're going home with your empty arms and you feel like you have nothing to get up for in the morning whether you have other children or not it, that was in the back of our mind constantly and that's what we focused on to almost drag us out of our, mm. our, our hole mm. where we were stuck and then over this past three and a half years you know our good donation is is, is what and continues to be what gets us through because you know it still hurts now the same as it did the day she died so i don't think it'll ever be any easier but
2: you made a really poignant um, remark that you felt so bad at the time that you wouldn't have been offended or you're not offended that the team asked about organ donation so raz is that true of most families in this situation how easy is it for- as a, an organ donation team, how easy is it for you to make the approach at such a difficult
8: time? It, it is, you're right. It is a difficult time to talk about organ donation, but like what Amy said earlier, you couldn't upset them anymore to what they've already been told about. Um, talking to families at their most bereaved um, entails a lot of training, entails a lot of a, a type of personality to do this job, and that's what we're. Trained to do support families around that conversation. It is a conversation, so we ask families whether they want to do it, they want to become organ donor or not. Some would still see it as a taboo, but that's what we're working hard on as an organisation is to make the public see that it isn't taboo. Because you talk about your funeral plans, you know, why can't you talk about organ donation? At the end of the day, it is a decision to help save the lives of others at the time of your death. It brings so much comfort to families knowing that you know their loved ones have gone on to be organ donors. Yeah. And if you do decide to become an organ donor, the most important thing is to talk to your nearest and dearest about your wishes. And it only takes a couple of minutes. You can log on to uh, look, search on Google for organ donation or you can do it on your driving license there's various ways that you can you can register on the organ donor register but the more important thing is to talk to your family and friends it makes that conversation a lot easier knowing that their loved ones had made that decision
2: very briefly amy just tell me again how important it's been for you and your family to know that mini um, has provided life and a whole lifetime for other people.
1: As I said before, it is probably the, the main thing that's that's got us through. Even with Lily, she doesn't, our six-year-old, she doesn't fully understand. She just thinks that Minnie didn't need all, all her tummy to go to heaven and mm. Carrie had a pearly tummy and she needed a bit from somebody else's. Um, but she talks to her friends about it, so they talk about it now and they're only six years old. It's something for us we can always refer back to it that for us you know it's always something we can come together as a, a family about the fact that she donated her organs and now carries it here with us because because of her mm.
2: joe hakim you're leading some creative writing and poetry sessions today at the celebration of life event um, you have a poem here that's um, already been completed this morning tell me about that
9: so one of the things what I'm doing is trying to give people like easy five-minute introductions to writing about something. So this came about um, getting someone to write about place and getting them to engage the senses to describe this place, something that means something to them or somewhere where they'd love to go. So this is by someone called John Fairclough. So here we go. A building of Victorian elegance, stern, forbidding, yet soft and welcoming. People everywhere do good work. There is the constant hum of conversation, different voices, opinions, bursts of song. The smell of long-established officialdom, not hard, but pervading everywhere. The taste is of the east coast of America. Clam chowder. The feeling of this place is like coming home to a place I have known for a long time. It is my art, brought to life. It was the home of an outsider which I greatly admired, who lived here in Clyde,
2: Maine. That's really beautiful. Poetry, uh, for some, does have that sort of very morbid identity. Uh, but also poetry can be a great sort of joyous um, celebration of life. In which camp do you most naturally sit, Joe? Well, I'm one of life's pessimists,
9: but um, as I'm getting a bit older, that optimism's creeping in. It's like the sun emerging from behind the cloud.
4: <laughs> I think the event is um, much needed. I think we definitely don't talk about end of life until the end or until it becomes too late. So it's certainly necessary for people to be aware of.
2: How do you think we can get people to talk more openly about death and the end?
4: For a lot of people it's something they don't want to talk about because they're scared of it. So I guess it's about breaking down that stigma, making people aware that if they can choose what they want at the end of life and make that known,
5: that it maybe will perhaps bring that level of fear down. I think from a Macmillan perspective it's really important because end of life is still such a taboo subject and we want to kind of promote people to talk about it and plan for end of life so it's not a crisis at the end.
2: How easy do you find it as your Macmillan nurses are you? How easy do you find it to get families to open up and start talking about death and the end of their life?
5: I think it depends very much on the individual. Some people are very open to wanting to talk about it and and some people just don't. I think it's just important to make sure that you you get some kind of relationship with the family um, to enable you to start having those sorts of conversations with them.
2: Why are we so bad at talking about death?
5: Because we're English.
2: (laughs) Is it really an English-British sort of thing?
5: I think think a lot of it is, because I think a lot of people don't like to show their emotion and i think immersion equals weakness to some people and i think probably that's a lot of it and i think it's about educating people to be able to let them talk about it and let them get it off the chest and let them express their feelings and i think it, i think it makes people think about the mortality and it makes it real doesn't it and, and i guess none of us are ever really ready to die and, and, and to think about things like that
2: how soon should we start planning for our deaths
5: I don't think there should be anything set. I mean, I've, I've already planned for mine. You know, it's, everybody's very individual, though, aren't they? And I think it's a good thing to, to do before you're even ill.
2: Is it something schools should be um, having in the curriculum? Should there be some part of the curriculum that helps children to understand what death is and how to plan for it?
5: I, I think so, yeah, particularly if they're seen it in families. And also for older students who are doing health and social care in in, in schools and are hoping to go on to do nursing, some of the students we've had, they've been horrified You know, if it was introduced a little bit more earlier in a softer module style. Um, Yeah, I don't see why not.
2: Why are we so bad at planning for the end of our life?
7: I'm scared to plan the end of my life. I don't want the end of my life to come, so I think that's probably maybe for the majority of people the same sort of story so we don't talk about it so people don't know what's coming next for anybody.
2: Uh, What are you hoping people take away from this event what are you taking away from this event today?
7: I'm hoping people take away knowledge they see that there's a support network out there for them um, and it's just about knowing that there will be somebody to help them and taking that that number away or a face that they can remember just meeting people of a similar situation and someone that they can connect with.
2: Why are we so bad at talking about death?
7: Um, I think it's become quite medicalised and people um, don't see it anymore. So before people would have died and been kept at home and now people are taken away to hospitals and don't like to discuss it. Um, So people don't see it suppose we're getting better at keeping people alive as well (laughs) you know whereas before it would be very common for people children to die and parents to die and be kept at home and now we you know a lot of people don't have any experience of death until they're you know sort of middle aged or even older you know because people are living longer.
2: I think that's a really good point about how death has become a, a clinical condition it's become sanitized most people don't really don't see a dead body they don't get an opportunity to talk with family members about death. How do people start these conversations then?
5: It's a difficult one that our role um, as community Macmillan nurses we go into people's homes and um, we do have these discussions and discussions on end of life so sometimes it needs the prompting of of a you know a healthcare professional to to prompt these and GPs and in the hospitals as well to prompt these discussions, um, but it is a very difficult thing to bring up with with your family you know close family and friends it's a difficult subject to, to broach.
2: Well, that's odd, isn't it? Because when you love somebody, if you're in a relationship, a really loving close relationship with somebody, you share all parts of your life. Um,
5: it is historically. A, You know, sort of taboo. Sometimes a taboo subject. People are frightened. They just don't. You know, they don't want to discuss these things. They don't feel that they can.
2: Why are we so bad at preparing for the end of our life or the the end of lives of loved
10: ones? Um, I think because it's such a taboo subject, people just don't like talking about it. And I suppose that's why events like today are so important. It really opens up that conversation, lets people think about what what is inevitably going to happen, and. Really, plan for what uh, to have a death which is good and one that reflects their the beliefs, their um, the needs, and seeing all these services here today are really giving the opportunity for people to do that. What makes a good death? As humanists, we, we talk about what, uh, the good life and, and trying to live in life with meaning and purpose, but that also translates to the end of the life, so making sure people can tie off those loose ends, reflect on a life lived. Um, a lot, and, and also, I mean, we provide humanist funerals and, 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 and uh, celebrations of life um, for people to have that opportunity to really say goodbye in, in, a, in, a, meaningful, in, in, a, in a meaningful way, which re- reflects what people believe. Do you help people to plan for the end of life? Um, so interestingly, as, 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 as an aside from our uh, humanist ceremonies, we also have a pastoral care network, Um, And what they do is they work alongside religious chaplains to give people an opportunity to speak to someone who shares their worldview um, and talk through. So those big existential questions that people have, especially when they're facing death Um, and those those real sort of dark days towards the towards the end of uh, of their life um, to talk through what 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 they want, what they what they need. And then if they would like to. Um, and have a, a humanist celebration, or if they want a religious one, speaking to someone who can open up that conversation is, is what's really important. How can you encourage people to have these conversations? I mean, for us, it, what's really important is making sure that people are aware the service is available. Um, so, I mean, it's a relatively new um, concept, I suppose. So, for hundreds and hundreds of years, you've had a A chaplaincy service which is being seen as religious all our research shows that a lot of people still see it as a religious service but making sure that people are aware of the broadness of what of of chaplaincy and the pastoral care services available in the different institutions gives people the opportunity to to engage more 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 often so when we have about four percent of uh, non-religious people are currently accessing chaplaincy services i think as people become more aware that that service is there to address people's pastoral spiritual needs and the recognition that non-religious people also have those needs as well, mm. people will start to access that service more readily and, and seeing it for what it is rather than something which was traditionally religious but now its its uh, remit has grown um, to so much more.
2: Why are we so bad at talking about death?
10: <laughs> I think it's because most of the people are afraid of it.
2: Personally, me, I like to focus more on the positive things in life, so death, yeah, I see, is a bit of a negative, so the more we can um, talk about the positive things in life, I think um, everyone can be a bit happier. I love this idea, that death's a bit of a negative. You just mentioned something there um, about the loss of your daughter, Jess, has empowered you. What sort of man were you before, and what sort of man are you now?
11: Before, in the past, I've been quite, sometimes quite negative. Uh, I went through a little bit of depression, long story short, got through that. Started reading something called The Secret, uh, Law of Attraction. I didn't mention that today, but that helps me now, and what I was doing before Jess. Losing Jess has made me even stronger, I think. come out of my comfort zone a lot. And not the same person I was, but a better person, um, because you've got to take positives from these kind of things. Not just me, positive more positive. The family in general and friends, close friends to us. And even people we never even knew before we lost Jess. We suddenly we know we do now know, because of Jess, we've got in touch with us and the friends now. So friends of Jess who weren't friends with us before. Mm-hmm. We now now and then meet up, say, and we've almost like got a new set of friends, not regular contact, but people that we like and that love Jess too. So yeah. that's to us has helped so Going back to the original question, I think I'm a better person. Um, More understanding, maybe, I don't know, but, um, yeah, more positive and more coming out of my comfort zone and more thinking what will Jess have done for this situation.
9: One of the things that we've been doing today is assembling a group poem. So this is written entirely by the people who have attended the Celebration of Life event. I think we should call it Celebration of Life. I think that's a good enough title. So this is the world premiere... She carries her memories in a patchwork bag because it reminds her how much those mean to her. She has plenty of photos, so I gave her a silver globe and told her to explore the world. Oh, what a wonderful life I've had. I met you in January, but you left in December. So always remember to share your memories with your children. For life is short and doesn't last. So let's all do what we can to care and help for those around us. She tells a thousand stories. She carries them in her heart, relives them every time she speaks. Sometimes I wonder what we'd say if we only had one more day. I would go for a large bar of dairy milk and share it with my kids. I would spend time with wild animals, my family. I'd give many kisses to all the people I love and I'd tell more people that I loved them. I often wonder who I'd share that day with and what we'd say. We'd make every day count, no regrets, because every day leads us down a different road. So live every day as it comes and don't take it for granted. Don't look back only forward. Live every day like it's your last, be happy. Love the life you have and share it with everyone around you. Love is kind, so be kind. We have a choice, we have a chance to find joy. In the ordinary. It's only a game. But it's a lovely game. So just play it. Do your best. It's opened my eyes. That although we're apart. I carry your soul. Within my beating heart.